Welcome to the Nahrain Network podcast series. Today we're with Dr. Robert Bewley, Director of Iamina Endangered Archaeology in the Middle East and North Africa. Hello, Robert. How are you? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Um, you work in archaeology in the Middle East. You're the co-founder of Iamina, which looks at endangered archaeology and documentation of that archaeology. The project really grew out of the crisis that was happening in the Middle East, particularly from 2011 onwards, especially in 2014. And a colleague in the University of Oxford, Professor Andrew Wilson, was approached by the funders, the Arcadia Fund, and asked whether myself and Professor David Kennedy, as we'd based the Aerial Archaeology in Jordan project in Oxford, whether we might put in a proposal to run a project to document as rapidly as possible the archaeology that was under threat, particularly in those countries where there was conflict. And so throughout 2014, when I was working in London for the Heritage Lottery Fund doing something completely different, we put in the proposal and then this was approved and then it was sort of agreed that I might give up my, as it were, proper job and become an archaeologist again, which was very exciting for me. So we started literally in January 2015 in the School of Archaeology. We also arranged a partnership with the University of Leicester and then eventually the University of Durham came on board. And the main focus was really to find sites using publicly available satellite imagery, create a record of them using a database so that was digital, it was a completely digital project. But the most important difference to a lot of other survey projects was that we were also assessing the condition of the sites and assessing the likely threats to them. And that way that the the local professional archaeologists could take our information and then hopefully do something to improve the protection of the sites. And this is the first open access digital archaeology record for Middle East and North Africa? As far as we believe, yes. And you've recorded 150,000 sites? Well, now it's actually 253. We were just looking yesterday and we've done 253. The project is, is at the moment due to finish in June 2020, by which time we will have done 300 uh, archaeological records. But we are in close discussion with our funders and we're hopeful that we may get an extension, which would be very exciting. And the type of documentation, this is aerial photography and uh, images? It's it's using historical air photographs where we can, obviously using the air photographs we've taken in Jordan that we've done in the past, uh, but predominantly it's looking at uh, Google Earth imagery, Bing maps, any other satellite imagery we can get our hands on. We do purchase some or commission some satellite imagery where there's a particular site. So, for example, Jury Europus we did and other places in Libya as well we've looked at because we want to be able to see what the change... It's about monitoring change. So if we can look at the historic air photographs and even look at the old corona imagery, we can get an understanding of how sites have changed. And although the stimulus for the project was conflict... In fact, of course, what we've discovered is that it's agriculture, the day-to-day changes of people building farms, orchards, ploughing fields for corn and wheat and why not, Um, and also the expansion of towns, villages and cities. And what we've said as archaeologists is that we know we can't preserve everything, but what we should try and do is record as much as possible so that those who can make a decision about the future of the cultural heritage in the broadest sense can do so in an informed way and make a decision and say, well, okay, for that particular site, we'll excavate it, or we'll even let it go without much of a record, but at least we will have known it was there. So that as archaeologists in the future, or archaeologists in the future, I should say, um, they can get a better understanding of what the distribution was, whether it's prehistoric burial mounds or Roman forts or Islamic mosques or whatever it might be. Um, But the pace of change in the Middle East and North Africa, we cover 20 countries from Mauritania to Iran, 
the pace of change in the last 10 years has accelerated and it will only keep on accelerating. The population is increasing, so more people need places to live, more food needs to be produced, so the pressure on the land is now. If we don't do this now, I think this is the last opportunity. And how can anyone access the database? I mean, And also the type of images that you have, how detailed are the images that you have? The images are getting better and better and people can access the database through our website, just Google Imina and it'll come up. We won't allow anybody to, to drill right down into the detail because we've got to be aware of the fact that there are people who might want to either destroy the site or loot the site or whatever it might be. So we, are, we make it available to anybody who is a bona fide archaeologist, whatever their interest might be, whether it's an undergraduate doing a BA thesis or a professional archaeologist saying, well, I want to study this particular type of site in this area. Can I have access to the data? We can, we can check their credentials, then they'd have access to it. And the imagery, we don't store the images, but we do a link to the satellite image so they can get it. Otherwise, the database would be just crammed full of images. The most important thing is the archaeological record. And perhaps two things have emerged in the project that we that I wouldn't necessarily have expected at the beginning. One was that a number of countries have said, we actually like the record, can we, can we adapt it and build it as our national heritage inventory? And we're working with uh, Yemen in particular, uh, Jordan and Palestine as well, to try and get their national inventory based on our database as their national inventory, which I think is a really useful thing to have done because it's not about archaeologists in the United Kingdom looking at this it's actually for the professionals in each of those countries to have access so we give them that data. And does the work involve damage assessments particularly regarding um, conflict, looting and so on and so forth? Once you've found a site then you assess it for all those things and you can say what do you think the damage is and what the likely damage is in the future so if it's near a road if it's a new road, there must be a reason why that road has been built or and often things happen alongside roads. So it's very important and people, again, a new road means greater access to, to uh, the archaeological sites that wouldn't have been there in the past. So it's making an assessment of what's likely to be damaged and what's not. And this is obviously this is an important part of the sustainability of heritage in some of these countries. You've just spoken about how some of these countries are in the process of integrating this database into their national systems. Hmm. Could you tell us a bit more about that, going into more depth? How can it benefit a country, say, like Iraq or Syria or uh, Yemen? Yeah, and this was the second aspect that changed that we didn't expect, which was that the British Council created a thing called the Cultural Protection Fund. And through that, we were then able to set up training courses in... Um, Initially, Lebanon and Iraq, Jordan and Palestine, Egypt, Libya and Tunis, but also in Yemen as well. Because what you need are the local archaeologists to be trained in, first of all, the air photo interpretation, the satellite image interpretation, then how our database works and the record creation and damage assessment, and then how you would use that information. And it's only once you've got the information. You can't preserve something if you don't know it's there. So it's finding it in the first place. And the people who need to know are the archaeologists on the ground. Every country has a Department of Antiquities. The staff there are usually pretty well educated in, in what they want to do. And it's fair to say that throughout the world, the archaeological fraternity is under-resourced. Historic England in England, it's the same, even though it's been around for a long time. It's under-resourced. If you asked anybody there, they'd say, yes, we could do with more money and more people. It's the same throughout the Middle East and North Africa as well. So any help we can give through the training courses, we give them a laptop 
so they can carry on the work either in their spare time or with the permission of their boss they can sit there and do it and so we've got a network now of 170 people who are doing this work right across the region who've been trained they've been trained to do it and we're hoping that that throughout the coming years that the Cultural Protection Fund might get more money come 2020 uh, once the British government has got through the little tricky difficulty of a Brexit and then we might be able to move forward because it's so important now I think is you know we've called it a, a crisis in culture it's now we've got to do something because in five ten years time these sites just won't exist they will have gone. And what happens if Iamina isn't funded by the Culture Protection Fund? Are there other avenues in which you can continue with the work you've Well, we are talking with the Arcada Fund, so we're hoping that that will continue. Um, And we're just in detailed discussions now. And there's been an offer in principles being made. We're coming up with the details. So we're very hopeful. But but the other thing we've also said is that the database with the 300,000 records will be available for a very long time anyway. So there's all there's an awful lot of records there. The next phase has to be the continuation of the of the documentation, but also then the assessments on the ground. And your question was about how will it make a difference? And the difference is saying, well, if we analyse... 5,000 burial tombs, you can't preserve everything, every one to the same degree, but which are the ones that are either in the best condition and safe, so we need to safeguard those, but which are the other ones which are under the greatest threat? So we do. you would then say, well, focus your surveys on those, excavate, and it doesn't have to be total excavation, it could be trial excavation, because quite often we don't know what date they are. Sometimes they're designated as a cairn, there's a classic case in, uh, in Jordan, where a number of these very small clusters of, of stones and the archaeologists in the field and ourselves as aerial archaeologists said, well, they're probably cairns, they're probably some sort of burial. Turned out to be early Neolithic houses. So it's only when you begin to take the top off and have a look, you can find out what they are. And then if you're lucky, you can date them, and then you can find out what they were used for. And if you do that, then you've got an area to, to say, well, we now know what this is. Yes, your road has to go through there so it can be, sadly, those sites might be destroyed. But at least you would then know when you find something else of a similar nature you can say well we know these are actually very important and they may not look important but they are so we're going to preserve them. Just going back to the quality of the images and the photography the project that you work on doesn't replace on-site documentation. It complements it yes yeah and I, I would say that what we're doing is the first step in the archaeological record in terms of putting a dot on a map saying there's an archaeological site here this is what we think it is and sometimes what we think it is might be not sure might be prehistoric not sure might be medieval not sure might be 20th century and and we're very broad in our interpretation it doesn't matter whether it's you know as early in the neolithic or even earlier uh, or 20th century because there's fantastic 20th century archaeology in the middle east and uh, we, we're working on for example the hijaz railway that's a fascinating story uh, both from a religious point of view in terms of why it was built but also from a, a military point of view you know the, the beginnings of the first world war and then the whole great arab revolt afterwards as well so fantastic story to be told important from historical record and a very important historical record yeah hypothetically in 10 years time given what you know and what you've documented if we look at the infrastructure of heritage North Africa and Middle East, where do you think we will be in 10 years' time? What I would hope is that the digital revolution continues and that in as, as many countries as possible, I wouldn't be able to put a figure on it, but it could be in double figures, 10 or a dozen of those countries, will have a digital record that anybody who wishes to be either involved in the protection of heritage or understanding the heritage would have access to. Um, I'm I'm totally aware of it's the same in England 
certain counties won't want to share their data with the people next door. It's the same in nations too. That's fine. But where you've got similar cultural heritage spanning the borders, which happens all the time, and particularly I'm thinking of, say, Jordan and, and Saudi Arabia, where you've got Nabataean archaeology stretching through, that you would hope that the two countries and the professionals there would share their information and, and a research thing could be done on what was an area 2,000 years ago that was important then, and the 20th century has drawn some lines in the sand, to quote a famous book. Um, and, though, and all boundaries are relatively false. Some of them may be his, you know, of a long duration. But the great thing about archaeology is it can cross those boundaries. And the digital record can cross those boundaries. Because what we're interested in is the distribution and nature of sites from whatever date they might be. And if we just go back to the area of training, I mean, how long does a training course that you have... Uh, take? Um, where does it happen? Does it happen in the countries or does it happen in Oxford, Durham or Leicester? For each of the countries that we were involved in in terms of the training there were two basic courses and there were um, about 10 or 12 on each of those and we're now in the phase of having the advanced training courses so the best of the best go on the advanced training course and they we hope will become the trainers to train other people in the country and they always happen in in the country wherever possible. It wasn't possible to train in Libya, so all the Libyans were trained in Tunis. That, that did work really well. The Cultural Protection Fund insisted that, that it wasn't just about the training, it was also about trying to develop the economy and help the economy locally. So we bought laptops and GPS equipment and cameras, so they had the kit to carry on the work afterwards. And you mentioned visiting sites and taking photographs on site as being a very important part of the process. And it is, because a lot of the sites that you see on the satellite imagery, sometimes you think, I'm pretty sure there's something there, but I'm not sure. You go and visit, and immediately you decide it's much more important than I thought it was, or actually it was a pile of rocks and it's not very important. That is, is what is going on now, and, and we hope that will continue. And that's why we hope the British government, through the British Council, will say, let's have a continuation of the Cultural Protection Fund so the work that we've built on, and there's no guarantee, but the work that we've started can be built on and carry on for another five years. And then your question was, was where would we be in 10 years' time? And I think it would be that, that, that there would be not 170, but perhaps 300 or 400 people who are trained and can do this work as part of their everyday job. Because the satellite imagery is becoming better and better. There's more and more of it available. And as long as you've got access to the internet, which is becoming more widespread, if the British government were to ask us what would be one of the things we would change and say, well, actually, why don't you as a government help the other governments in the Middle East and North Africa to increase their digital infrastructure, get 5G, get Wi-Fi everywhere, um, which is a really important aspect of it. Also, as part of the project, trying to raise awareness amongst the younger generation and also politicians. So we've created a series of exhibitions that, that as we speak, are going round all the countries and there are 12 panels for each of the country, and they're going into schools and museums so that people can see that there is cultural heritage all around them, that if they're interested, then they can say that they are interested. It's a really odd question that I'm often asked is, why is the past important? Why do we care about the past? I can't answer that question. I can only answer it from my point of view, which is I think it tells us something about our identity. We're interested in where we came from. That's why I say that the importance of, of having these exhibitions and having the local people understand what they've got, it's their future. And that way, if we can get the exhibitions both online 
and through physically in it and it doesn't have to be a big room it can be a classroom and they've been written in simple possible way in English in Arabic in French so that everybody can understand it I often when I'm giving a public talk make a joke which is you know they're designed for school children and politicians because they've got a similar level of understanding and that's not being rude to politicians it's that politicians have to take in a huge amount of information so if we can take tell a very simple story they'll get it straight away and 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 if as a politician they are interested in that in their country in their past or whatever else some are some aren't then hopefully that they will say yes we will welcome more people to come and, and more people will do training and i think it's got to be the young people to get them interested because it's their future and and if they understand their past hopefully they'll understand their future on that note dr robert beauty thank you very much if you would like to learn more about Iamina, you can type Iamina, E-A-M-E-N-A in Google search or the website is eamena.arch.ox.ac.uk. Thank you again, Dr. Robert Bewley. Thank you. Pleasure.